It had been a while since I posted an episode before this one, and that was not my intention. I started to feel very weak and dizzy a couple of months ago, and it continued to get worse. I made an appointment with my doctor recently after I had a scary allergic reaction to the rubber coating on my new gloves. It had slipped my mind that rubber is latex and I'm allergic to latex. I was really struggling to breathe and I started to like snore a little with each breath like my throat was closing or something. It was horrible and I didn't have an inhaler or anything because my asthma isn't usually that bad. Anyway, the doctor prescribed a couple of inhalers and an EpiPen to have on hand just in case. I also mentioned to my doctor while I was there that I have been extremely weak and dizzy lately, but I was really annoyed by her responses and follow-up questions. I remember trying to stress to her that my problem is physiological, not psychological. Maybe she thought I was having panic attacks. Maybe she thought I was just lying. I don't know, but I explained my symptoms calmly and insisted on having labs done because I thought something was wrong with my kidneys or whatever. My doctor ordered some blood tests, and I have a serious needle phobia, but I did the test because I really want to feel better, and I wanted to know what was going on. The doctor's office actually called me first thing the next morning to stress that my iron levels are so low that I need to see hematology for a transfusion. So that explains the weakness and dizziness and constantly feeling cold. I knew I needed to change my diet immediately. I am an extremely picky eater and I follow weird eating patterns. Sometimes I will eat the exact same thing every day for a few months. A few months ago I was underweight and I hadn't even noticed that I was getting too skinny until I had to get on the dreadful scale in the doctor's office. I do not like being weighed in front of other people. I think most people can relate to that. My issues with weight and food go back to my childhood. I was emaciated when I was a kid and I don't think I have ever been overweight as an adult. I definitely weighed more when I was having babies because I forced myself to eat a balanced diet when I was pregnant and breastfeeding. But before my fifth child was two years old, I had already lost all of my pregnancy weight and I was falling into the underweight category category again. My eating patterns are weird. I was doing intermittent fasting long before it was a thing. I'm pretty sure I had ARFID when I was a kid. Maybe I still have it. I don't know. ARFID, or A-R-F-I-D, stands for Avoidant Restrictive Food Intake Disorder. The interesting thing is that there is a lot of overlap between ARFID and Autism Spectrum Disorders. I'm pretty sure I would have been diagnosed if I was tested. I have always had trouble socially. I hated school despite the fact that I loved to learn. In high school, I had significantly higher than average SAT scores, but my GPA was embarrassingly low. I basically fail at meeting people's expectations, I guess. One of my three daughters had some delays when she was an infant and toddler. After a bunch of testing, I was told that she has an autism spectrum disorder. She was the pickiest eater of all of my children. She had low muscle tone, and she looked a lot like I did when I was her age. We had to see a nutritionist because she went from being a chubby baby to an underweight toddler. Even though I prefer to follow strange eating habits, I am aware that people are supposed to eat a varied diet and I know the difference between healthy and unhealthy foods. We had two Whole Foods grocery stores nearby. My other children ate a very healthy diet but one of my daughters would simply refuse to eat and I didn't try to force her because I remember experiencing the trauma of that when I was little. My weird eating habits 
habits are having a detrimental effect on my health now. Now that my kids don't live with me, I almost never cook. I rarely even turn the stove on. I survive on coffee with heavy cream for calories. A few months ago when my weight was dropping, I didn't notice because in addition to the coffee, I was actually eating a cheeseburger almost every day. And I would even throw in the occasional banana for potassium because I started to have foot cramps. Don't follow my weird diet. It's not healthy. After a few months, I started worrying that the cheeseburgers were going to clog my arteries, so I started eating Doritos and dinner rolls instead, and I think that's when the real problem started. The burgers were keeping my iron level up, and I started getting really weak and cold when I wasn't eating them anymore. But I think I had trouble realizing that that was the problem because we were also going into like fall and winter when it was getting cold anyway. So now that I live in a rural area, I have a lot more trouble finding healthy food. I know I'm surrounded by farms, but the grocery stores here rarely carry local food. I had much better access to nutritious food when I lived close to Boston. Thank you for listening to my craziness. If there is someone in your life who is struggling with food issues or anemia, I hope the information in this episode helps you find treatment and support for them. If you are the person struggling, please take the steps to heal yourself. It can be difficult to find answers, but keep trying. I have refrained from talking about COVID on this podcast because I am not a real scientist and I didn't want to sound like a conspiracy theorist. I am almost certain that I had COVID in the fall of 2019 before everything started shutting down. In the fall of 2019, I got sick and I initially described it by saying that I had caught a cold and when it was going away, I caught another cold that was much worse. Before I had fully gotten over the first cold, I said I caught another one, but I remember that that's how people later describe the symptoms of COVID, where like you got sick and as you thought you were getting better, you got much worse. So that was one thing that made me think that it was COVID. I am 99.999% sure that I had COVID in 2019 when it was just starting to spread in China. By the end of 2019, I was still sick and spending a lot of time lying flat because I would get dizzy to the point of passing out if I sat up or stood too long. I like to watch gossip YouTube channels. I know, it's a guilty pleasure. There's one woman who calls herself Lovely Tea. She actually has a podcast on Anchor where she shares stuff that would be censored on YouTube. Anyway, around late fall 2019, Lovely Tea was reporting about a mysterious illness in China that was overwhelming their medical system. I saw footage of overcrowded emergency rooms in China, and I saw people passed out and twitching on the ground. I knew it was only a matter of time before whatever was happening there would be happening here in the US. I started googling like crazy and reading medical journals. It took a really long time for me to realize that the sickness I was still dealing with at the time was likely the same thing people were suffering with in China. What I learned, though, was disturbing. I started reading about gain-of-function research and how SARS, which is also a coronavirus, had leaked from a lab in China a few times in the early 2000s and caused a small outbreak and a few deaths. I learned that scientists were intentionally seeking out extremely harmful pathogens and making them worse 
course on purpose in the labs. So pathogens, you know, are like viruses, bacteria, things like that, that get people sick, basically. I also learned that lab safety in China and everywhere else around the world is lax and ineffective. Deadly pathogens easily escape from these high-level biosafety labs because they have doors that don't properly latch and other easily remedied issues. I had a theory based on all of my research. They said COVID started at a wet market in Wuhan, China. A simple Google search showed me that there is a high-level biosafety lab at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is coincidentally very close to the wet market. Scientists from the Wuhan Institute of Virology went to remote locations in China to collect samples from bats so they could study the viruses that the bats carried. One scientist reported that he had been peed on by the bats and sprayed with bat blood while collecting samples. He had to quarantine after these exposures and he even reported getting sick from the bats. Other people had gotten sick from handling the bat guano. Bats are fascinating creatures that live very long for their small size. Their long lifespan and the fact that they are capable of powered flight means that bats have very robust immune systems. Bats are able to live symptom-free with viruses that would make us very sick. I understand why scientists want to study the viruses that bats live with, but I don't understand why they want to combine these viruses with other viruses to make them so infectious and deadly. That type of research used to be called gain-of-function research because the scientists were causing the pathogens to gain new functions like being more deadly, causing worse symptoms, or being more infectious. It would be foolish to think you could use something like this as a weapon because there is no reasonable way to control it. But maybe they think they can create a deadly pathogen that only they would have a vaccine or treatment for. I really don't understand the logic, but these scientists are playing with fire and they are repeatedly getting burned. Why don't they stop? I learned that the Wuhan Institute of Virology was doing gain-of-function research and the work was funded either directly or indirectly by the United States. Like I said, gain-of-function research is when scientists do experiments to cause danger dangerous pathogens to gain new functions, making them much worse. Basically, they were making viruses more deadly on purpose. They claim to be doing it so they can find treatments, but I am concerned that their motives might be more sinister. Scientists around the world lied about gain-of-function research and the origins of SARS-CoV-2, you know, the virus that caused COVID-19 disease. They have recently rebranded gain-of-function research, so it's now called something like enhanced potential pandemic pathogens. If they would stop enhancing them, maybe we wouldn't have such a high potential for pandemics. These are scientists with questionable morals. I don't believe they are ignorant of the potential harm they might cause with this research. They either don't care or they're doing the research for the purpose of causing harm. Here's another disturbing fact about gain-of-function research or enhanced potential pandemic pathogens. Whatever you call that research, just know that when they enhance the pathogens, they do it in a way that makes it very difficult for other scientists to prove that the pathogen was artificially enhanced. Check the description for a link to a YouTube video that explains the timeline of fuckery. If they aren't doing anything nefarious, 
Why do they feel the need to cover their tracks and lie about their research? These are terrible people with way too much funding and the power to control the narrative. They are mad scientists who unleashed a deadly artificial virus on the world and now they are trying to force us to get a vaccine that has recently been proven ineffective in slowing the spread of the latest variant. And on top of that, the vaccine actually causes inflammation of the heart in some people. The virus can also cause this very same inflammation of the heart, so getting the vaccine actually puts you at an even higher risk of heart complications because with this latest variant, you can still get sick even if you are five times vaccinated. The people who are responsible for this pandemic need to be stopped. They need to be held accountable for the harm they have done, and they need to be prevented from doing anything like this in the future. I am not vaccinated, and I have not been sick since the fall of 2019. I went to my niece's birthday party in early December 2021, and I found out shortly after that two of my aunts who were vaccinated actually caught COVID. One of my aunts was even admitted to the hospital because she has asthma. I didn't get sick. I'm pretty sure the terrible illness I had in 2019 was COVID and I'm still immune. I wish my doctor would order antibody tests to see if I am immune and if so, how strong is my immunity. In a previous episode, I sort of recommended getting vaccinated. I take that back. I am not recommending that you get the vaccine, but neither am I suggesting that you don't get it. Everyone is different and you need to weigh the risks for yourself. I think it is important to make an informed decision and that is the reason I am sharing this information with you. It is unlikely that you had COVID in 2019 like I think I did. I actually have a couple of theories about how I could have caught COVID in 2019. One theory is pretty simple. I think it's possible that COVID was already spreading here in the U.S., much earlier than we initially thought because of biosafety labs here in the U.S. that were conducting the very same research that was being done in Wuhan, China. And I'm going to talk more about that in a future episode. I think it's actually very important information. But my other theory is that maybe I did catch a strain of COVID that was circulating in China, and this is how it could have happened. Three of my kids were spending a lot of time with me in 2019. John had rented an apartment in the town where my kid's dad lives, so it was easy for my kids to walk over whenever they wanted to. Just like my family, my kid's father is from Honduras, and his mom came from Honduras to visit them for a few weeks. One of my daughters had a cold around that time, and I caught it from her. I don't know if my daughter's grandmother was sick at that time, but I know she was traveling on international flights, and there is a lot of mixing of people from around the world on international flights and at major airport hubs. There are no direct flights, I don't think, from Honduras to Massachusetts, so I'm pretty sure she would have had to cross over at a bigger airport and there she would have been exposed to a lot of people from around the world. So that's one theory on how I could have caught COVID in 2019. My daughter was pretty sick 
at that time, but I don't think she was ever as sick as I was. I don't even remember if everyone else got sick at that time because I was spending so much time in bed. I remember being very sick for about four months and extremely weak afterwards. I went to the emergency room at one point because I was having so much trouble breathing. They did a chest x-ray which showed that something was wrong. I think I had to do some follow-up testing because I was struggling to breathe for so long. I also had to see a cardiologist because my heart was doing weird stuff stuff, but I live in an area of COVID deniers and anti-maskers, so nobody would believe that my symptoms were from COVID. The doctor said it was impossible because of the timing. Then reports started coming out that COVID was circulating as early as August 2019, but didn't become a major problem overwhelming the medical system in China until December 2019. I'm pretty sure I had a very early case of COVID, and I had it really bad. The only thing is that I am probably still immune. There is a lot more that I want to share about COVID. I avoided the topic until now because it was so early on that there wasn't enough data available to make informed decisions based on facts. That is no longer the case. There is a plethora of information now from reputable sources and I want to share it with you. Doctors are still trying to downplay the risks and overstate the benefits of the vaccine, so be careful. I don't think the doctors have an agenda other than trying to save lives and options are still pretty limited at this point, so I think that's the reason they're really still pushing the vaccine, is they really don't have anything else to offer people. All you can do at this point is educate yourself and make the best decisions you can for yourself and the people you love. Thank you very much for listening to Path of a Green Witch podcast. In the short amount of time since I started recording this episode, I have found out so much more information about COVID that I want to share with you. But I also forgot to mention that my ferritin level, so I mentioned that my iron level was really low and I might need an iron transfusion, but I didn't mention like what the level was. Apparently my level was 2.9 and the normal range for ferritin is anywhere from 10 to like 230. So I I guess anything under 20 is considered like anemic and mine is just considered profoundly anemic according to the person who called from the doctor's office. So that's pretty bad. I've been eating burgers again and I've been eating a lot of citrus fruit to try to increase my iron absorption because when you eat foods with iron, you need to eat vitamin C with it in order to make it possible for your body to absorb the iron. If your vitamin C levels are low, you're not going to absorb iron as well. Okay, so that's that with the iron thing. And I'm addressing it. I'm waiting for the appointment with hematology. I'm feeling slightly better given the changes in my diet, but I think I will still need that iron transfusion. So we'll see how that goes. And I will try to remember to update you on that. But if you are struggling with anemia and you are not a vegetarian, I highly recommend that you try and get your iron from meat, like red meat, because iron that you get from red meat is more easily absorbed than plant-based sources of iron. But if you happen to be a vegetarian and plant-based sources of iron are really your only option, then you want to look for sources that have high bioavailability, like I mentioned molasses and stuff like that. And you still want to be mindful of your vitamin C intake. That's also important. I haven't had a chance to try the iron herbal tonic syrup yet, but I am planning to make that part of my 
regular everyday diet. Anemia is something that I have struggled with for a long time and I know that it has contributed to certain other issues that I have. I want to try and keep my iron levels at a healthy point for a couple of years and see if certain other issues that I've struggled with don't correct themselves. So yes, I will be incorporating the herbal iron tonic syrup in my diet. I actually like the taste of molasses so I'm not concerned about that. So as long as there aren't any herbs in the mix that have a really strong overpowering flavor, I'm pretty sure I'm going to like the syrup. But I will let you know when I try it and what it tastes like. But as far as COVID-19, there are some really key players, some really questionable characters. One is Ralph Barrick. I'm going to talk more about who he is. There is an organization called Eco Health Alliance. I'm going to talk about the part that they played in this. I am really concerned. A lot of the things that I'm going to share are opinions, but I'm also going to share why I have those opinions. So Ralph Barrick is a scientist who worked really closely with the lead scientists over at the Wuhan Institute of Virology and I just think there's a lot of recklessness going on in terms of their gain-of-function research but the thing that really bothers me is I've been listening to some of the lectures that Ralph Barrick did a bunch of years ago before we had this pandemic and he basically predicted it but not only that he kind of briefly mentioned that he had some patents and I'm just wondering what are those patents has he cashed in like has he made money did he profit off of the pandemic because he was giving ideas to people on like how they could profit off of the next pandemic and that just sounded super sketchy to me so anyway I'm not going to ramble on and on in this outro I am going to try to put together a cohesive coherent episode on the craziness the really questionable activities of scientists around the world and there's just so much there. There is a biosafety lab at Fort Detrick and it makes me wonder right off the bat like why do we have biosafety labs on military bases and their immediate response is oh this is for national security we want to make sure that we can defend ourselves against any biohazards any threats or whatever but I just think that that's not true I think they are actually creating the threats and I mentioned also like that I didn't understand the logic and why they would try to create a bioweapon anyway, and I think I'm starting to understand the logic. I don't think it's for warfare in the traditional sense. I think this is for economic warfare. This is people doing things to try to gain economic advantage. Okay, I know I've said a lot. I mentioned Fort Detrick, Ralph Barrick. There are so many other people who are implicated in this whole thing, and there is a lot of evidence to support the idea that this was caused by human activity, that this was not just a natural occurrence of a new virus. This virus was created in a lab and now we actually have evidence to support that. It's not just a conspiracy theory. So thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support. I love doing this podcast. I was getting so down when I was not feeling well enough to record and upload episodes. I'm feeling a little better and I am hopeful that I will be feeling a lot better in the months to come. So if you haven't subscribed, please do because I 
have so much more that I want to share with you. Thank you so much for listening.